Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Hi everyone, it's, it's really an honor for me to be here tonight. I'm really excited for... Um, what, what we are going to read in scripture today and uh, hopefully what the Lord will lay on our hearts tonight. So the topic for tonight is the true church. The true church. So th- these past few weeks, we've had sermons regarding the biblical Jesus, biblical gospel, biblical Holy Spirit. And tonight we're going to have a look at the biblical church or the true church. So I hope you guys are awake. This is, we're going to look at a couple of definitions, theological definitions of church, looking at the images that we see in scripture, the church, and then we're going to look at the purposes of the church. So I hope you guys are, are ready and uh, that uh, you, we're going to shift the gear and uh, be a bit on an intellectual level tonight. So the, the main topic or proposition or question for tonight is what is the true church and its purpose and before we start let me pray for us yes lord thank you for tonight thank you for your grace your love thank you for your word that guides us lord thank you that you are just the price you paid for us on the cross holy spirit i pray that you would speak to us tonight to each heart here um and we, we honor you for who you are, and, and we worship you. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. For tonight, we're going to read out of the book of Ephesians. So this is a letter uh, where Paul talks about, well, mainly the doctrine of church, amongst other things, but he talks about the doctrine of church. And if we want to learn about the doctrine of church in scripture, we can turn to Ephesians and its sister letter, Colossians. So where Ephesians deals a lot about, it deals with the, the body or the, or the church, and Colossians looks at its head, looks at Christ. And I want to start with, with this question. What is the church? What is a church? How would you describe it? What idea do you have in your mind when that question is posed? What is a church? Is it a building like this one with four walls, a roof, a floor? Is it maybe a a denomination? Maybe a group of people that come together, that that show up for a Sunday service to, to to listen to a sermon? So in short, before we get into the detail, in short, the church is a community of Christians. And what's interesting is that the, the, the concept of church isn't only found in the New Testament. We, we, we see it in the Old Testament where God gathers his people. He gathers the nation of Israel. Uh, through Moses, he gives the law. And we see this gathering of the people of God. And the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And then when the Greek Jews translated the Old Testament to Greek, 
The Greek word they used for this gathering of people is very similar to the Greek word we see in the New Testament for church. There's a concept we see throughout Scripture. And what's important is that how we as believers understand the church, how we see it, and how we understand its purpose will influence us, will influence how we see our role and our function as Christians in the church. Church is a community of Christians. But what is a Christian? Chris Pepler gives the definition of a Christian as follows. A Christian is one who repents, exercises faith in Jesus for salvation, and confesses the Lordship of Christ through testimony and by living according to his example and teaching. So being a Christian means that we are members of the church. It enables us to be a member of the church. So in other words, national citizenship doesn't make us a member of the church. Being born or natural birth or being a member of a, of a certain group or a club doesn't make us a member of the church. Not even infant baptism makes us a member of the church. The church is the community of Christians. The community of God's redeemed people. And the relationship between the church's members results from their common identity as brothers and sisters adopted into God's family. And the identity of this family is grounded in Christ. It's grounded in the person and works of Christ. And this identity transcends any earthly distinction of race, culture, gender, age, nationality, class, transcends all these earthly distinctions. There's ultimately one universal global church, community of believers on earth. And in this world, however, this one universal church takes the form of an infinite number of local churches in the world. Local churches like we see today here, Shofar Shakunda, local church which form part of this global community of believers, this universal church. Now let's look at, at four definitions of relating to the church. The first is the local church. Like I said, the local church is a particular expression of the universal church consisting of Christians gathered together in one geographic locality, gathered in one space, like in a, in a building like this, a small city maybe, a suburb, a block, a house, like with small group. The universal church, on the other hand, consists of all Christians on earth and in heaven. So that's all Christians over time. The Christians that are living today and dead. These form part of the universal church. Family of God extending through time. And in the New Testament, when it relates to the word church, it can mean a number, it can mean a local church or the universal church, the whole spectrum. When, 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 the, when, you, when the New Testament talks about the church, it can mean that it's a small group meeting in a house 
all the way to the universal church, all believers, through time. The last two definitions is, the first is, is the visible church. Now, so theologians distinguish between the visible church and the invisible church. And what I mean by the visible church, that is the church as Christians, as we on earth see it. What is visible, what is physically visible to us, to our eyes. When we look at the community of believers, what do we see? What fruit do we see? What ministries do we see? That is the visible church. Then we have the invisible church. This, this is the church as God in heaven sees it. And the distinction, this distinction between these two emphasize two truths. First, only God who reads hearts knows ultimately who make up, who are part of this invisible church. Because he can see who is truly saved. He can see the heart. He can see those who he has called, who he has saved. We can't see the heart of people, the hearts of people. And secondly, there are some within the visible church who are not genuine believers, though they may look as if they are. So the visible church, the church as we see it, we can see a person, the fruits that they bear, can't see the heart. So it might look to us from a distance like that person is saved, but it might not be the case. The point here is going to church every Sunday doesn't necessarily mean you are saved. One can, can attend church out of habit, out of tradition, out of culture, out of a feeling of guilt, maybe to ease a conscience. Going to church every Sunday does not necessarily mean you are saved. But of course, the church doors are open for the unsaved, of course. What I'm, what I'm talking here is about believers who think they are saved. Or even those who intentionally infiltrate the church to cause division. Wolves in sheep clothing. So that's on the, on the one side. You know, attending church every Sunday doesn't necessarily mean one is saved. But on the other hand, not going to church because maybe you don't want to or you try to avoid it definitely means that you are not truly saved. So I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but basically what that means is when we, when we read 1 John, through the book of 1 John, there are 10 questions that we see there that the, we have to answer each one yes to know that we are saved. One of these questions is, do you fellowship with believers? Do you love the brothers and sisters? So believers, and in quotation marks, believers who think that one does not need to go to church are not truly disciples of Christ and need to repent. And if this is news to you and you didn't know this and you repent and you turn, then that again is a testimony of your salvation. So we're going to turn to Ephesians 2 and we're going to start looking at the images of, of church. So 
Ephesians 2, we're going to start there from verse 11. And I just want to give us context here. Ephesians, written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote it from prison when he was in prison in Rome. He wrote it towards the end of his life, a couple of years before he was executed in Rome. And he wrote it at approximately 60 AD, so 27, 25 years after Christ ascended into heaven. And the whole theme of this letter, Paul was summarizing the gospel, the gospel through, by grace, through faith alone, he summarized the gospel. And then he describes the nature and the role of the church in God's eternal plan. In this specific passage, Paul is talking to the Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish Christians. So you had non-Jewish Christians and Jewish Christians. He's speaking to the non-Jewish Christians. And, and in this passage, we are looking at two, two images of the church. Ephesians 2 verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation, the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the first image we see here is the building of Christ. Jesus Christ is busy building his church right now. He's busy building the church. He is the foundational cornerstone providing unyielding stability to this building. And he promised that he will one day complete the building. Therefore, when we look back in church history, or when we look at instances where the church appears weak or corrupt or lost, there's always reason to have deep confidence, to have deep confidence in its continued growth and its enduring strength, because it's not being built by humanity, it is being built by Christ. And the building image is grounded in, in the temple imagery in the Old Testament, the place where God's presence and, and glory were, were most often seen. And now the church is that place on earth where God primarily dwells and makes himself known to the world. This temple, this church, is not made with human hands, but exists in the corporate life, disciples of Christ. And if we read scripture, if we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see the presence of God moving from the tabernacle to the temple, then to Christ where God incarnate came to earth in the flesh 
Then Jesus ascended, and now his presence is in the church, working through it to reach the world. The next image, the family of God. God adopts us as children into his family through his redeeming work. As adopted children of God, believers as we are brothers and sisters, are bound by a family relationship which is greater and even more enduring than our biological family ties. Why? Because our ties with our brothers and sisters in Christ is eternal. Earnest love should characterize our relationships within the church because we are a family. The fact that the church is like a family should increase, should increase our love for one another, should increase our fellowship with one another. Now let's turn to Ephesians 5 to look at the last two images of the church. Ephesians 5 verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. A third image of the church, the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church, which is the body. He has authority over us. He directs us. He determines our destiny. Each limb, organ, cell of Christ's body serves an important role, a distinct role. So the image of the church as the body of Christ, emphasizes that the church is the channel of Christ's activity now on the earth. Like when Christ was on the earth during his earthly ministry, he taught the truth, he, he spread the gospel, he healed the sick, he cast out demons. And now, as the church, we are this channel through which the, the, the truth is taught. The gospel is spread, the sick are healed, the demons are cast out. We are now the channel, Christ's body here on earth, to enact his earthly ministry. The image of the body of Christ also emphasizes our dependence on Christ. We are dependent on him, and also we are dependent on each other. Every member has a role to play and we are each dependent on each other we cannot do this alone is it possible for the limb the organ or the cell to exist outside the body no this metaphor of the church as the body of christ should increase our awareness of our dependence on christ and one another and it should increase our appreciation of the diversity of gifts within the body Every cell, every organ, every limb has a role to play. The last image of the church is the bride of Christ. 
Christ saves and sanctifies his people through his sacrifice on the cross, which serves as the model relationship between a husband and a wife. And Christ's self-sacrificial love for his bride continues today as he, as he feeds and cares for the church. She who will one day be presented to him spotless in spotless perfection when he returns. As the bride of Christ, the church should strive for undiluted devotion to him. Him who is her jealous husband. The image of the bride should also stimulate us to strive for greater purity, greater holiness, as we are being conformed into the image of Christ. Also, encourage us for greater love towards Christ and submission to him. To love Christ means to love the church. Christ shed his own blood to create the church, and the church is God's primary conduit of his grace and glory to the world. Thus, meaningful local church involvement is not optional. It's not only a sign of our salvation, but it's also the essential context within which believers are intended to meet Christ, to find him, to love him, and to grow in him. Now let's look at the characteristics of the true church. Now there are six points on the board how one can identify or distinguish a true church from a false one. I'm not going to go into much detail on, on, on every point here. And also this list is not exhaustive. This is just my six most important points. And the caveat here is it is to identify a true church and not a perfect church because one will not find a perfect local church, a perfect congregation on earth because we are all sinners. The church will only be perfect once Christ returns and takes away the presence of sin. So how to identify a true church? First point, a true church teaches sound biblical doctrine. A church has to teach doctrine according to scripture. Now it's important to, to distinguish between core doctrine and secondary doctrine. So what I mean by that is when, when looking at core doctrine, examples of core doctrine is like the doctrine of sin, that we are all sinful and we all need a savior. The doctrine of Jesus, that he is both man and God. The doctrine of salvation, that we are saved through faith by grace, not saved by works. The doctrine of the Trinity, that we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So these are core doctrines that has to be taught according to scripture. If not, that is not the true church. Now there are secondary doctrines where certain local churches differ on. But that does not mean that they are not part of the universal church, that they are not in unity. Now an example of a secondary doctrine is like the doctrine of man, where one group of people see that man consists of spirit and body, and another group of people that believe that man consists of spirit, soul, and body. Now, those are two different views, secondary doctrine, and those two churches with these differing views are still part of the universal church and can still work together. Another example is like the doctrine of Calvinism and Arminianism. Are we saved by our choice that we make for Christ or does God choose us? He elects us. 
It's another example. The last one I want to look at is the doctrine of baptism. So that can be viewed as a secondary doctrine if a local church sees baptism, infant baptism, as a means that the, the, the baby is initiated into the church. But the baby is not saved through baptism, okay? So I, I don't agree with, and we teach this in E1, we don't agree in, with in, infant baptism. But if a church acknowledges that baptism does not save, so it does not contradict or undermine the doctrine of salvation, the baby is just initiated into church from our view that, that is incorrect in, in interpretation of scripture. It's not core doctrine. It does not affect core doctrine. So we do not agree, but we can still work together. If, on the other hand, the church sees baptism, or even communion, but sees baptism as a means of salvation, then it undermines the doctrine of salvation, contradicts the doctrine of salvation, and that is a false church. So first point, a true church teaches sound biblical doctrine. Then we look at the members. Do the members bear good fruit? Do they love Jesus? Do they love one another? Let's say you, you move to a new town. There's a church you want to join. You you, you, you go to a service, and now you can look at the pastor, the elders, the small group leaders, the members that's, that's been in the church a couple of years, and look at their fruit. Do they profess Christ in their words and their deeds when they're at church, at work, at home? Do they repent often? Do they forgive quickly? Then we look at the sacraments. Are they used biblically? Sacraments meaning the Lord's Supper and baptism. And as I said, if a sacrament is interpreted as a means of salvation, then they are not utilizing sacraments publicly. It's a false church. Then we can look at worship, to, to worship God in spirit and truth, and that's a sermon on its own. And then prayer and missions, which are important elements that, that has to be there. And all these points happens in small group. So we can see that church not only happens here on a Sunday, but church happens at small group. Now let's look at the, the three goals or purposes of the church. For that, we're going to go to Ephesians 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So from the verse 19 and 20, we see that the first purpose of the church is to minister to God. So the church is created to exalt Christ as the Lord of all, to honor him as the head savior, Lord and king of the church. So this is in a sense, the churches or a local church like Shofar Shakunda, it, it is its internal purpose. What we do here at church is we minister to God first. So ministering to God can, can happen through prayer, of course, through praise and worship songs, through the sharing of testimonies, when someone comes and share words of encouragement or praise for us, 
when we lay on our hands on the person for prayer, for healing, for spirit infilling, when we are walking in the gifts of the spirit here in the congregation, and all these result in glorifying God. So that is how we minister to him. Then the next purpose, Ephesians 4 verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here we see the second purpose of the church is to minister to believers. We build each other up. We equip each other for ministry. And that forms another part of this introvert internal purpose of the church. So we minister to God. We minister to believers. We nurture and serve the household. And then there's also an extrovert purpose. Now, now I, I, I added uh, purpose number three there. It's, it's not in the, the passage uh, we read now, but I just wanted to include this as well. The third purpose is to minister to the world. Like I said earlier, the church doors are always open for the unsaved. There's a calling on our lives to reach the world. So the church purpose is threefold. We minister to God through worship, especially here during our Sunday services, but it can happen at small group as well. We minister to believers through nurturing and teaching, equipping, and we minister to the world through evangelism. And all three of these purposes are equally important and needs to be balanced. We cannot neglect any one of these. Then we fail. And every one of us can slot in by one or more of these three purposes. And what I mean by that, for, for example, the first, the first purpose, to minister to God, we can slot in through the activities that we see on a Sunday here, packing out chairs, setting up the sound equipment, the media desk, the connect table, the welcoming team, the coffee station, the kiddies church, the, the toddler area, the band. We can minister to God through, through the, uh, means like that. To minister to believers, a simple example is to support your, your small group, support your small group leader. And not only arrive at, at, at small group every Wednesday, which is also good, consistency is, is, is very good, but it's also to participate, to share a testimony, to ask questions, and so support small group leaders. You can minister to believers through supporting them with food, clothes, and finances. We can teach one another scripture. 
This is how we minister to one another. And ministering to the world, a simple example is inviting someone to small group, inviting someone to church. This is how we can take part in the purposes of the church. Jesus set the example in all of these three by having an intimate relationship with the Father, spending time in prayer with Him, by teaching the disciples truth, teaching them kingdom principles, and then by proclaiming the gospel, healing people, casting out demons. Jesus healed and, 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 and freed people who didn't believe in Him, people that followed Him for the signs and wonders that He did, but did not see Him as their Lord or Savior or Messiah. And yet, he ministered to them, for he loves the world. So what? What is the bottom line? If we understand the purpose of the church, we know where we can contribute. Because, you see, there's a danger in seeing the church as an organization or enterprise. When we view the church in that manner, we see a Sunday service just as a means for filling the building. It is a place where we are entertained, where we are not participating but spectating. We are discouraged from taking part in ministries. We become passive. There's, there, there might be order, agenda followed through the service, but there's no participation. If we see it as an organization, an enterprise, we will be taught, but we won't be equipped to, we won't be equipped by our experience. So we have maybe a, f a few leaders that are doing all the work in front. The service is seen as a performance. Then we, our view of the church is false, incorrect. Here the ministries of sharing testimonies, laying on of hands, moving the gifts of the Spirit are neglected. And the church life will consist of members not maturing in Christ, not ministering to God and others biblically. On the other hand, if we see the church as a body which is controlled and enlivened by Christ, of which we are part, then we will see the church's role, the church's purpose as our own, as our own role and our own purpose the question to be asked is not so much what is my ministry, but rather how can I use what God has given me to glorify his name and to build the church, to participate in the body, building each other up in love. We should be looking out for the needs of those around us which can be met through the, the diligent and joyful application of our talents. So how will this understanding of the images of the church and the purposes of the church influence your role and function within this church family? Tonight we will share in communion as part of being the church of Christ, being celebrating the sacraments that, that, that Christ has inaugurated. 
and I will give opportunity for the elements to be distributed, the, the biscuits and the, and the juice. And while that's being distributed, I just want to also go through the, the teachings of communion. What's it all about? In Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, we see that Jesus inaugurated the Lord's Supper. He instituted it for his believers. He instituted it for us, his church, so that we can remember and commemorate his death on the cross, together with each other, together in fellowship with him. The eating of the bread or the biscuit and the drinking of the wine or the juice serve as an illustration of the gospel. And it reminds us of our salvation in Christ, the sacrifice of Christ. It symbolizes our spiritual dependence on Christ, our connection with him. There is a, a past and present and future component to it. Now what I mean by that is in the present, during communion, we enjoy fellowship in the presence of Christ, in the presence of one another. And we remember his death 2,000 years ago. We remember the past. And then we look forward to the future, the promise of his return one day to fetch his bride. The Lord's Supper does not constitute a means of saving grace at all. We are not saved through communion. It nevertheless holds immense value. And each believer needs to understand meaning of it and partake in it with faith i'm going to give opportunity for everyone to to receive an element then i'm going to pray for the biscuit i'm going to pray for the juice and then i'll i'll end off uh, in prayer Okay, has everyone received an element? Okay, great. We pray for bread. Yes, Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice, Lord. We commemorate your sacrifice tonight. Thank you for the perfect life, the sinless life you gave up for us. The price that we had to pay, Lord that we are not able to pay. Only you were able to pay it in full, and you did. You chose to give up your, your life on earth. You gave it up willingly, and we thank you for that, Lord. Then, Lord, with this juice, we remember the outpouring of your blood, Lord. The new covenant that you established through your blood. The cleansing that we experience through the sacrifice. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you bled and died for us. And we honor you. And we look forward 
to your return, we will enjoy new wine in the new heaven, new earth. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We, we cannot begin to express our gratitude for your grace, your mercy. Thank you that you shed your blood for the church. That you have gathered us as a community, as a family of believers, that we are adopted children, brothers and sisters in Christ, that transcends all earthly distinctions. Thank you, Lord, that you are building this living building. You are building it and making it whole and that we can look forward to your return when this building will be complete and perfect without the presence of sin. Thank you, Lord, that that you are the head, that you are in charge, you direct us. You you determine our, our path, our direction and our destiny. Even when the world is chaotic and falling, everything's falling down around us we know that you are in control thank you lord for every believer every person that you've given as members of this congregation lord because we are dependent on each other we cannot do this alone and you know this that is why you've given every person a different set of talents and abilities that we can as a body each contribute and fulfill our role Align our purpose with the purpose of your church to minister to you, to minister to believers, to minister to the the world. Lord, I pray that you would, would align our thoughts, our beliefs to what scripture teaches us and not what we've learned through experience or through our upbringing or through our own ideas. Help us to realign with your word may we grow in the quiet in our quiet times spending time with with you in the word and in prayer may we search the scriptures ourselves and may we grow in understanding may we mature in Christ that we are that we as we are conformed into your image Jesus that we may grow into maturity for your glory may we build each other up in love may we support one another May we be the living gospel to the rest of the world, where we bear good fruit and where we live out your teachings and your commands. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.